space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Temporal Trek Podcast. We are in Chronodate Season 3, Episode 11, Season 1, Episode 8 of Enterprise. We're in Fortunate Sun. Uh, now it's just a solo show again, so to make it a little bit more interesting, I'm changing up the format once more, and we're going to do a live watch through. So I'll be pressing play on the Netflix version of this episode. Now, as I'm recording this episode, it has been announced that uh, Star Trek will be leaving Netflix over in the US in favor of Paramount Plus. So some of the timings may be different. Some of the minutes and seconds will be different as we go through some of the episodes in the future. But at the moment, we are still watching the whole episode. So wherever you're starting from, it's zero minutes and zero seconds. Fortunate Son is one of those episodes where I sort of remember some of what happens but it was very hazy in the back of my mind uh this opening scene is one of the few things that sort of stand out to me where they're playing football uh down the corridor and it's a nice little callback to our uh, first episode where uh paul uh paul wright our guest um pointed out he would love to have seen them playing sports and using the gravity plating to assist them now they're just having a toss around they're just throwing the pigskin uh, uh, from one end of the cargo bay to the other but it would have been fun to have seen you know the the sweet spots come back we're thrown into the action this freighter is being run by humans as we found out we still don't really know what's going on at this point but all the signs are in english so to uh, us as uh, the outside viewer you can guess it's human and they're under attack and we go straight into the credits there's not really much else to go on on this one but the idea that there's this freighter on its own in the middle of nowhere and it's under attack yes it is the intro sequence uh, dare i hit skip i don't know um but like I say, there's a lot about this episode that's very hazy and I can't quite remember it or I confuse with another episode that's going to be coming up in the future. As this is a Travis-centric episode, I kind of remember um, more of that episode than I do of this one. Here's the Enterprise and Fortunate Son. Now there's a very interesting thing going on here. Uh, there's going to be a call put through to Archer. There's Porthos. Um, love having Porthos in a scene even though he doesn't do very much in this episode. A call through from uh, Admiral Forrest, so you you know something's up as soon as you get this. Um, the one thing I did appreciate about this transmission is that it's a bit crackly, that it's not quite as uh, clean cut as we normally get to see. Uh, so we're seeing the early days of subspace communications perhaps not being that reliable. Subspace amplifiers being laid as well, so the very first one being laid at this point. There's a little bit of a, a line from Admiral Forrest where he talks about uh, the images from the comet uh, 
Now, that was Breaking Ice, and as we're listening to these episodes and watching through, um, that was two episodes ago. So it makes me wonder, should this episode be perhaps a week earlier, to have made that more likely? Are they referring to the same comet from Breaking Ice, or is it something entirely different? Um, it's another throwback to Andorian incident into Breaking Ice, where there's reference made to Vulcan ships uh, tailing the Enterprise. It would have made more sense. There's Porthos. Earth cargo ship ECS Fortunate. Um, I love the fact that it's explained that's what ECS means, that we will now figure out that anytime we see ECS, it makes that kind of uh, reference to it. This is exactly what the character of Travis Mayweather was built for. He's giving us all of the lowdown. He's telling us how this works, that he lived on a different kind of freighter. <laughs> the way Topol just says, yeah, beyond its recreational activities. Um, her matter-of-fact delivery, again, is Jolene Blaylock just playing perfectly in this scene. Um, even even Reed is straight in there with, like, what's her defensive capabilities. He's straight in with the security assessment. He's ready to go. It's a good point. You know, what would you do if you are um, left under attack? You need to fire back if you are under piracy. Um, if you're under attack, you've got very little to, to do. If you've got a tiny little cannon that's designed to shoot away meteors, um, you need to defend yourself against anything. Um, this whole episode is a great setup for a Travis episode because it is using all of his experience and it's a great way of introducing us to Travis's backstory but also this whole part of Federation history and Starfleet history that hasn't been dealt with before it lives up to the promise of the premise I am still using Jen Tiff's um, uh, wonderful insight there uh, this is a great catchphrase for it um, but the idea that the Enterprise has to go back on her journey to go and check out a part of life in space that has never really been dealt with before what were the space boomers up to um, what is life like for them as they are traveling between these two regions i love the design of the ship the modular design how they can uh, just detach all the different areas that they are covering all of the ship in all of the cargo areas it's it, it's a design that's not a million miles away from what you see some of the early uh, nasa plans being and some of the elon musk and tesla designs being uh, this idea of modular starships now the the, the other captain we um, saw the older captain in the preview before when they were being attacked um, the older captain is incapacitated at this point, so the first officer takes over. This actor, this character, it just never pops for me. It never really breaks out of the mould. His delivery, I'm never quite sure if he's intentionally trying to be distant um, or whether he is supposed to be playing someone who hates the Norsecans so much that he is just uh, angry at them all the time. The performance is just a bit flat. It's a bit meh. Uh, there's nothing really there. Whereas his the guy behind him, he's twitching, he's looking around at the characters, he's clearly nervous. His performance is so much stronger. I wonder if he should have been 
the main character uh, the main character and he's almost going along with it because his uh, underlings the rest of his crew are the ones forcing his hand and making him do this it's it's a very unusual um, performance from this this actor um, it, it it highlights why this crew never came back why the fortunate never came back even though there's a great setup towards the end of this episode um, and they could have brought it back but given that this character was there um, I can see why there wasn't much call for it and why I've never really seen people talk about this episode very much it never seems to enter in to uh, the lexicon into the the general discussion when you talk about Enterprise um, perhaps because it's overshadowed by the other episode that is Travis's episode um, which is more personal to him um, this one doesn't seem to really deliver anything um, interesting that you want to come back to uh, there's a great um, uh, attempt at showing us piracy which is something we haven't really seen and how um, dangerous the Norsicans can be there's also uh, an attempt to try and show um, the early days of transport and cargo and why the boomers uh, are working there but it never really delivers anything interesting even as they are going to in, uh, see their prisoner the, the Norsecan pirate that they've somehow managed to capture I'm not fearing for the, the Norsecan at all I mean perhaps the Norsecan is just that way and he doesn't show his fear but the captain or the standing captain is never intimidating I don't believe him as a credible threat to the Norsecans in any way um uh, we know that he isn't we know that he doesn't have a cannon for it but even when he gets what he's after um, in this scene and he's trying to get the codes out of the Norsecans it, 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 he never seems credible as a commander um, and someone who even stands a chance against the Norsecans which is why it doesn't really make any sense Travis is just showing him up every single scene every time Travis mentions all the future tech when they're standing there in front of the transporter and he's talking about you know what's it like to go through and Travis says I haven't done it myself either Travis just shows up this other character this other actor um, he's smiling through the scenes he is doing everything he wants to do um, it, Travis is just such a, an alive character in these moments in these scenes contrast to this other captain this captain of the fortunate it, it just shows him up and it just makes it him seem so uninteresting uncharismatic Why did they just not give him more to do? Travis is so good. Here's Trip inspecting all of the parts and uh, offering to synthesize new ones. Now, how exactly they synthesize it, what exactly they do to get the materials to synthesize it, that's never quite gone into. Um, how the Enterprise can spare these resources, I'm not entirely sure. We're never seen on any of the previous missions when they've gone down to a planet or anywhere else that there was uh, drilling involved other than breaking the ice, but that was for something more akin to research than to gain any resources to use. Uh, now perhaps they mined the asteroid that, or the comet that uh, Admiral Forrest was talking about in the first uh, scenes when we got the, com the comms through. 
But again, that's not explicitly said. Uh, Archer doesn't have a throwaway line to say, oh, we picked up quite a lot of resources there. Um, we should be able to work, you know, run the machine shop for ages. And then Forrest could easily say, you know, oh, that's good because we're going to be sending you for a rescue mission and you might need these resources to help fix their warp drive or something like that. It throws it in and makes it believable that they would have these resources, but this ship is supposed to be out there on its own. And other than picking up a few bits of food here and there from other alien species, we think uh, that we've been able to infer from meeting all these other species. Um, uh, certainly in um, Terra Nova and Strange New World, you know, the, the opportunity to pick up resources for food uh, was always there. But there was never an explicit mention of drilling or mining anything to keep the resources going. Again, another great scene. Um, just Travis is alive. He's so um, happy to see another boomer and share about mystery meat and going through this. And then this other captain is just so drab. I just don't get why uh, why this episode doesn't deliver for me. But it's it's just uninteresting. There's a callback to this whole history, and I just don't feel anything for this character. There's there's no hint that he is uh, going through any internal changes. Now, it's not necessarily a dig at the actor. It's just uh, the writing doesn't seem to be there either. Um, he doesn't seem to be getting anything um, uh, or giving anything to the audience uh, to give us an idea of what he's feeling. Um, it, it's very one-dimensional. There's really nothing else to go on. What he's saying makes sense. You know, if people start joining up Starfleet, who's going to run all the freighters? Who's going to move uh, pieces from here to there? Um, but his his outrage or his unwillingness to accept this new world that's going to be faster with warp 2, warp 3, warp 4 engines for freighters it feels rehearsed it feels flat um, eventually that is the world that's changing and I can understand his outrage maybe he wants to keep it that way and that's a believable story arc but the performance being given in the episode to me doesn't sell it convincingly I do like this scene. Uh, Topol is trying to do some adjustments and his second in command is again, he's de delivering something and he's trying to be cagey. You can see that he's sweating. You can see that the way he's evading her chances to fix and repair something that she's noticed is a bit odd. Um, he's being cagey. He is delivering far more than the standing captain. <laughs> Topol finds the child doing hide and seek. Uh, she gets it straight away and again it's another fantastic performance from her uh, showing that she understands the situation and she lives by it <laughs> she could have made the logical inference on who Nadine was but she didn't and she played along she did just tell them the truth
So Tapor has found the Norsegan biosign. Uh, we know there's a Norsegan on board. And Archer starts to grill him, but is trying to be amiable, maybe give him a chance to explain himself, perhaps let him, you know, um, try and give him a justified reason why there's a Norsegan on board. It's just flat. See, I don't believe it. I don't believe that he is being cagey. That's a very precise scan. Um, I mean, I know that we're in the early days of scanners uh, in the Enterprise world, and uh, they're not that sophisticated yet. Paul has been able to find out that he's injured, that he's uh, on board this uh, cargo ship, and she's been able to ascertain quite a lot of information why they needed to go through this interrogation scene um surely starfleet has a jurisdiction you know in a police matter something that uh, is clearly an abuse of uh, the norsican regardless of whether he's a pirate or not um to be taken and be apprehended and taken to the authorities Okay, fair enough. Nothing, no, just jurisdiction on board that ship, but... And I do like that resolve. I like that Archer says, I've got control over all the parts. You are at my whim. I, I can force you and force your hand and to make you give up uh, this Norsican. Now this whole scene, I do wonder, you know, it seems a bit forced. The trapping of the away team into a module and sending him in the wrong direction uh, just to then be um, put into a phaser fight and uh, to trap them in there. Reed's there, he would have known, he would have spotted this. It would have been nice to maybe use flocks, perhaps a Denobulan sense that no one knows about, you know, to write it into the script that he is able to pick up, um, that I I can hear different heartbeats and things like this. Um, surely T'Pol should be able to do that. She should be able to hear everything as well. Archer has the sixth sense, though. And I, again, it just feels like, you know, somebody else should have noticed first. <laughs> I defer to your spirit. He is making a big mistake. It doesn't make any sense why this has already devolved into a firefight. I don't believe it. I don't believe a lot of this episode and all the pacing and how it all works out and, was re and is resolved.
So Ryan uh, forces his hand, creates a breach in the hull. They eject the cabinet, uh, the uh, the module from the fortunate, and that forces Enterprise's hand to have to then try and uh, rescue them. What I don't understand is why they are um, delayed in any way. Uh, the Enterprise has a warp five engine. Um, even at warp four, they're going to overtake this freighter quite easily. They have a transporter. We've already had an entire scene setting up this transporter. Um, they could have beamed them across, beamed them over, come back to pick up the shuttle pod in a few minutes. Um, how the freighter is in any way distracting the Enterprise by firing on it, um, it, it doesn't seem to make any sense. If they damage the transporter in those pot shots that they take off, then that makes it more believable. But in this case, it doesn't make any sense to me. They can come back with a shuttle pod. They could have easily fired. Why are they firing a torpedo and not some phasers? That could have easily slowed them down anyway. A lot of this episode just feels like drama for drama's sake and action for action's sake. There's very few beats in here that I am entertained by in this episode. It's all down to that promise of the premise. There's a great opportunity to tell some stories, and I think they do do towards the end. They start bringing up this aspect of what if life changes? Should we be doing this? You know, um, when life gets a bit faster, what will happen to the boomer lifestyle? It'll be a, an aspect of culture that will move on. Uh, not a million miles away, if we're thinking in history terms, uh, as this podcast likes to do, uh, of the people who had industries built around a horse and cart, and then the car comes in. Um, the whole way of life ends, um, and it would be hard for people to adjust. That's a great premise, and that should have been something that I think this episode wanted to bring up and wanted to delve into but was too hung up in delivering action beats and wanting to um, show us uh, some phaser fights and uh, a couple of uh, you know, intimidation scenes and interrogation scenes. Um, the, the Captain Ryan is beating up the Norsican and he is particularly violent. I just, I don't believe it. I, I, you know, the guy's tied up, fair enough, but I still don't see him as a credible threat. Uh, maybe it's the actor, maybe it's the writing, maybe it's the direction, I don't know. But something, as a viewer, doesn't doesn't feel right to me. They get their codes. They now have the shield codes, the shield harmonics for the Norsecan Raider. So they're going to go and get revenge. Another aspect of this story that doesn't just come across right to me. Um, the revenge aspect. He doesn't seem angry. He doesn't seem outraged. He seems just blasé about it. And maybe that's it. Maybe he has um, a psychopathic tendency. Perhaps he doesn't um, deal with the situation as most people would. And this is a, an aspect that um, uh, it could have worked into, into the script. You know, that Ryan's always been unhinged. You, you start to get character references from all the other characters. You know, we never trusted him as the captain. We never wanted him to be captain. This might have made made his performance a bit more believable that he has this psychopathic uh, disconnected way of viewing the world and that disconnection plays into the idea that he is a freighter captain or at least a part of freighter crew that he likes to be distant that he likes to um, be away from too many people at once 
uh, that distance then plays into that story of um, the lifestyle of the boomers. Um, again, it's it's the prime example of what I think was wrong with season one of Enterprise in that it had this great idea, it had a great premise, but it got hung up in playing into the Star Trek tropes that everybody knew. You have to deliver an action scene. You have to have a misdirect. You then have to have uh, the Enterprise scrambling for a solution, be it a sciencey one or be it some sort of tactical one. Travis should have played a bigger part. Um, his role in perhaps disabling uh, the fortunate um, he could have played a much bigger aspect of that. As much as I hate to admit it, Trip is right. Uh, he's got a lot more to worry about. Uh, Starfleet are now after him. He is now a wanted criminal for everybody. He may be doing the uh, trade runs, and as much as Travis is trying to defend him because he's a fellow boomer, it's very easy. Now, this resolution, this conversation between Travis and Archer, I like. Uh, I like that he uh, approaches Archer and says, are we doing the right thing? Um, should we stand back and let him you know, have his revenge? But it's a very simplistic way of looking at things. This is something that Travis should already know. Perhaps it would work better if it were flipped, if it was Archer who'd called Travis in and was saying, I'm having a debate, you know, should we just let him? What do you think, Travis? You know, you're the one, you're the boomer. And then have Travis sort of say, well, I've been thinking about this a lot. My my father would not have stood for piracy. He would have wanted to fight back. He would have had uh, vengeance and everything like this. But since joining the Enterprise, I've had a chance to question some of my ideas, my prejudices, my way of lo looking at life. And I feel we should stop him. That actually... Um, his path to vengeance is only going to lead to more destruction it's only going to make things worse and if I'm honest about it it could cause more troubles for my own family and I'm worried about their safety if we start a war with the pirates who's to stop them going after every freighter that ever passes by Norsican space, my family included it, it, this scene seems to make it seem like Archer already has the answers and I feel it just would have worked better if it was flipped the other way so Travis has the answers he's the one with the experience and the know-how and um, he's been brought into the fold in Starfleet so much that he can start to look at his former life with uh, an objective viewpoint Now we get the attack on the Norsecan base. They start chasing a Norsecan pirate ship, thinking it's the raider they were after, and that it's on its own, that it's just sitting there. We start to realise it is just a trap, and the Norsecans are going to lead them into what is a mining base for the Norsecan pirates. I like the look of the Norsecan ships. There's something weirdly nautical about them like their their, their um, trilobites that they are sea dwelling uh, creatures uh, it's a really good design it's a really um, menacing design and I kind of wish that we had seen more of the Norsecans perhaps leading up to this point perhaps 
um, finding out more about fight or flight, the aliens in fight or flight, that there would have been some callback to this. Uh, as we saw in the last episode with the Malorians who were exploiting uh, the Akali, it it might have been nice to have had them somehow know those weird aliens who are sailing all of the um, biles and ducts, and they refer to these guys who sell on things and taking ships and. On. Oh, I think I heard about your enterprise. Didn't you run into them and all this sort of thing? To build up this intrigue of a um, set of aliens that are gunrunners, that are the criminals of the underworld. And then eventually we realise that it's the Orion Syndicate. So we, the Star Trek fans, sort of know where that is, but this is the basis of it. And um, that we could have had season one as just dealing with the Orion Syndicate. Again, ignoring the time travel stories, ignoring all of that side aspect to it. And the whole first season is just the Enterprise discovering that there's a, a whole band of outlaws sort of working together. They've got this idea that um, they are a band of three thieves all working together. And the Enterprise is now the law coming into the region and having to clean up house. Um, that, for me, I think would have made a much more interesting season one and allows this episode to exist as its own little pocket universe. They're dealing with the fortunate, but it sows the seeds of a much bigger story with dealing with the piracy around this area. You know, link in the fact that all these trade pirate um, cabals are linked somehow. Um, to a far bigger enemy for the Enterprise to deal with, if not just in this season, but perhaps for future seasons as well. We lead up to the Orion Syndicate. Um, forget the time travel temporal Cold War. It's perhaps a promise of the premise that wasn't lived up to. We now get the phaser fight. Um, these guys are holding older versions of the pistols and the rifles that Reed has been playing with in all the previous episodes we've seen so far um, it, it's nice to see chunkier versions of the machines that the Enterprise is using so it's got like the most sophisticated version the most up to date version um, but again all these action scenes feel a bit forced, a bit staged um, I don't believe the jeopardy in them um, the Norsicans are in no way violent. They they seem very tactical. Um, they seem a credible threat, a far more credible threat uh, to them than the Fortunate ever was uh, back to the Norsicans. And uh, I think for that reason, it just feels like that um, the Norsicans were underused because they could have been far more vicious. And it would have been interesting to have seen them, you know, tearing the hull apart uh, to get to the Fortunate crew. There's a genuine fear that if the Enterprise doesn't get there in time, something worse could happen. It would then at least justify in some respects, respects the approach of the Fortunate, that it was so driven to desperate measures that it felt that it had to attack back. Um, it would have been a far more believable plot, perhaps, and a turn for the characters. Um, this... Star Trekian resolution where we talk out our problems is fantastic and I absolutely love that Archer is willing to talk the problem out uh, and offer a trade um, and see that uh, the Norsican is handed back to his people I just don't believe it I don't 
see how we get to this point given all the steps that Ryan and the crew have already gone through um, if we were supposed to believe that he was so vengeful that there would this be this this change um, it, it's unjustified having Ryan perhaps step down or perhaps go one step too far that his crew then stop him and then they are the ones who are more reasonable and listening to Archer it might have been a bit more tropey but I think it probably would have been a bit more believable to me, the audience. <laughs> the Norsicans, um just talking normally. Uh, I completely breezed over this, uh, but up to this point, as far as Star Trek fans had been concerned, um, Norsicans were play Darmjad human. Um, they always saw as um, the you know the dumb jocks perhaps of the universe, uh, but in this they were erudite. They are well spoken. They are completely different. And now perhaps uh, Picard got into a bar fight with just the wrong sort of Norsican, uh, who is just aggressive all the time. And perhaps there is a different different other species of Norsican that are a bit more well spoken. Uh, that uh, there's a violent kind and there's a slightly more tactical kind perhaps. Or perhaps there's just uh, the you know, the least educated uh, Norsicans were the ones that go into the bar fight. Who knows? But they all seem to be aggressive, and they are all pirates. And it's a form of makeup that I really like, and it always puts me in mind of the Predator from the Predator movies, uh, the mandrels, the the claws around the face. How that works and why that is an evolutionary advantage? Not entirely sure. They don't seem to be for mashing food or containing food or, or, or grabbing onto food but that design with the sort of fish-like ships sort of looks uh, aquatic uh, in some way so perhaps it's sort of like a claw um, like an um, uh, octopus uses to, to ingest its food when it uses the tentacles to, to pull the food into its mouth and its beak um, but it's it's a good good makeup set I love that point, and as I was saying earlier, that it feels like that point should be made a little bit more earlier in the argument between um, him and Archer. That uh, it's my family. Um, you know, he could have said, like, "I was just saying to the captain, it's my family at stake," and just bring it up again, so that that logic not only works on Archer, it also works for everybody else. That there is a more rational argument to be made. That is the moment where I believe the turn. Again, just doesn't seem to be any urgency to it. The the performance of the captain, the Ryan character, just doesn't seem to work for me. 
the Norsecans pull back. There is honour amongst the thieves. This final scene I really enjoyed. Uh, even though I kind of feel like Travis should have been in it. Um, just to finish off the conversation, you know, um, it's one boomer talking to another boomer, handing over to Starfleet. That that the three men of the completely opposite ends. Um, yeah, there's Starfleet, the new era. There is the captain of the freighter, and then there is Travis, who is the middle ground. And we could have seen the track of that move from one to the next. But the performance between the two, between Jonathan Archer and this captain, it's just fun. And I would have loved to have seen more of this particular captain, um, just to have them back. There's a charisma to the character. Um, the performance that the, the actor gives, it's likeable, and you want to get to know him. I like that little callback to uh, to Archer. Perhaps we could have had a little mention to Vanek. You know, I've even uh, been taught to uh, accept help from Vulcans uh, once in a while, just as a nice little throwaway. Uh, as the, you know, you always know that the the humans still don't quite trust the Vulcans, and that still extends to all the Boomers as well. Um, that Archer's learning this lesson. Maybe Ryan could too. It is a shame. I would have liked to have seen the fortunate with this captain return. Um, not with Ryan, not with that character, but just to see where it could have gone. Who knows? Maybe in a novel somewhere, someday. And that's the end of the episode. Pretty quick on this one. Um, so that's locating the point in time. We'll move on to the next category, that is consequences. What are the consequences of this episode? We have an introduction of the Norsecans. We have our first run-in with the Norsecans, as far as Starfleet is concerned, as far as we know. Um, we have uh, the introduction of perhaps the beginning of the end for the boomer lifestyle. That, as the captain says in the final scene, I'm going to need at least a warp three engine to stay in business. Uh, life will get a bit too fast that we wanted to uh, go it alone and prove who we were that uh, that the movement from horse and cart to car has come to this era of humanity and not everyone is going to able, be able to accept it uh, that's a big consequence uh, as far as any draft, draft protocols or anything like this um, you can see that we aren't quite the perfect humanity uh, that uh, we like to believe we are at this point 
that revenge was still an option as far as one of the characters was concerned. So drawing up a code of behaviour I could see being a, a big consequence of this particular episode uh, and something that would be not only, not only introduced to freighter captains but also to Starfleet as well. How do we deal when protecting our trade vessels from piracy, from being under attack? So consequence-wise, I can see this being the basis, perhaps uh, the fortunate protocols, uh, that uh, whenever dealing with pirates, that there are certain things that a Starfleet vessel needs to do in order to maintain the peace. After consequences comes alterations or expansions, things we would have liked to have seen more of. As I've already mentioned, I just wanted to see more Travis, and it's a common complaint uh, throughout or all of Enterprise. Um, Travis is the perfect character to have. I feel like he was given a lot more in this episode than he has done in the past, but he should have had even more. We've had him tell ghost stories. We've had him show that he loves a good mystery. Um, use his boomer lifestyle more. Um, he should have led the way from beginning to end. He should have been the one with all of the interactions with the fortunate crew. Got to know them. Got to befriend them. Got to understand... Um, uh, where they're coming from, what's happened, but then give it the reason why Starfleet is the way forward. Um, have him convince people uh, and that Archer and the rest of the crew are just alien to these fortunate people, these boomers. Uh, that uh, it, it, it made more sense for him to have done all of the conversations up to this point. He bounces the ideas off Trip. He bounces ideas off Archer. That's fine. Bring in the other characters. But it just felt like they hadn't quite hit what they wanted to hit. The notes that they wanted to get to. Um, and it is a shame that we never get to see the original, the proper captain of the Fortunate Return in some capacity. Um, I can think of a handful of episodes coming up where having a transport captain, maybe using them to get around... Uh, would have been a, a fun little callback whilst keeping it a believable part of the world that perhaps Archer is you know, smuggled aboard the Fortunate and pretending to be uh, a part of the crew in order to infiltrate his way into the Orion Syndicate and going through, down that road and seeing um, how they can use uh, Federation trading vessels to believably show a way that Starfleet can get in on the underworld. So I think there is a lot more that could have been done and a lot more that I would like to see after this episode. But as far as this episode is concerned, uh, it didn't really deliver to me. So it's not one that uh, I feel like I needed more of this specific story. I wanted more around the story and what the promise of the premise was going to be. Um, but it's just not there. So that leads me on to recommendations. Do I recommend this episode to Star Trek fans? It is essential for learning bits of boomer history and giving Travis a little bit more development and uh, showing his potential as a character. But it's not essential. It, like I say, it never really seems to enter into the conversation whenever you're talking about Enterprise, whenever we're talking about what's going on, other than being another example of why Travis should have got more to do. There is never really a fond, ah, oh, the fortunate episode, I have to go back to that one. I've never really heard that before. So as far as recommendations to Star Trek fans, I'm not going to recommend. To non-Star Trek fans, where does this come in? Uh, it's a fun introduction. It's uh, a nice uh, element of Star Trek life that uh, isn't hasn't been explored. 
and gives us a sense that not everything is perfect, that crews are still willing to take out revenge, that there's piracy, that things are still unsafe in the universe. But the performances are a bit flat. Uh, the Norsicans are a threat, but whether they're a, a important threat, an amazing threat, you know, something that will blow away a, a new watcher. Um, if you want it in the theoretical brainwashing kit to get someone into Star Trek, I don't see this one exciting anyone. Uh, so for that reason, I am not recommending to non-Star Trek fans. And that's it. Another short and sweet episode. Join me next time as we are going to be shuffling out of the Netflix order and going through on the Star Trek Chronology Project's timeline as we skip an episode and go to Silent Enemy first. So join me next time for Season 1 of Enterprise Silent Enemy. We'll begin at 0 minutes and 0 seconds. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temple Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temple Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.